It's Monday, January 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Good to see you, gents. What's up, dude? Good to see you. We got a little bit of snow today. We did. How about yeah. that? You wake up, you look outside, there's snow on the trees. It's the perfect amount. The, sn- the roads yes. are perfectly fine, uh, and it looks pretty. It, yeah, looks- it takes like the forecast of it to go ahead and just throw the public school system into complete chaos. I mean, just the forecast of it. Yeah. I mean, they school started two hours late today. But Where it's you like- live. Not no, for me, I, I got to I got to wake my son up. He's like, it's I was like, no, buddy, school's on. Let's go, chop chop. Let's there keep moving. There you go. We'll <laughs> pat on the rear, out to the bus. Exactly. Uh, we're gonna dip into the full mail bag. We're gonna start though with a pair of stocks that are heading south very quickly. Fitbit does not report their fourth quarter results until late February, and today the company confirmed what some had feared, and at least one person in the studio had predicted, uh, which is that this report is going to be ugly. Fitbit lowered their sales guidance, and they're laying off 6% of the workforce. And let me just stick with me on the numbers here, because when companies offer guidance, they are offering a range, which makes perfect sense. They're Mm -hmm. not going to be able to predict it down to the dollar. The sales guidance range that Fitbit had offered was, well, we think sales are going to come in somewhere between $725 and $750 million. And they came out today and said, actually, it's going to be around 580, which is a massive drop. And the stock, not surprisingly, down about, at one point, it was down 16, 17%. It's come back up a little bit, but it's still down like 11, 12%. Yeah. And I mean, I, I would warn investors who are thinking that maybe this is the opportunity to pick up shares on the cheap uh, to, to give that notion a lot of thought and if you need to be able to identify the catalyst that you think is going to turn this thing around, because I don't think there is one personally. And I mean, I'm not trying to be glass half empty, Jason. Here, I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, we've talked about Fitbit a lot since it went public, and uh, I mean, it's really been a bad investment. And and I I don't like saying that. I mean, it, I like what they stand for, right? I mean, they're really trying to actually do a good thing, I think, in, in making people more aware of their health and encouraging fitness and, and whatnot. But, I, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it is a gadget company, right? It's a one-trick pony, for the most part, and it's one trick turns out to kind of suck. It's not very good at what it does. Yeah, it's got a class-action lawsuit, or it did for the heart rate monitoring, right. and then the it couldn't measure your steps properly. I mean, anytime you have a situation where you feel like, okay, I'm wearing this thing for this one reason, and now it's being brought into question as to whether it actually does it well or, or is even doing it correctly. I mean, it's hard to gain that trust back. I think ever. Like, I mean, I think most consumers who were maybe on the fence and thinking, eh, maybe, maybe not. There are plenty of reasons to go ahead and think maybe not now, and. Um, I mean, like you said, this was a major, major guidance cut. I mean, at the midpoint of of guidance from then to now, I mean, that's about a twenty percent change. And this is a company that is going to be very dependent on growing that top line in order to improve its business. I mean, this is essentially what's going on right now is like GoPro two point mm-hmm. And you're seeing this company has kind of hit its peak. And now I think what we're going to see here going forward is a lot of ratcheting back of guidance. They're obviously going to be cutting costs, unfortunately, letting some letting some people go. Um, you're going to see margins start to compress. You're going to see cash start to burn, and you're going to start to see these guys try to figure out oh, what do we do here to 
to sort of right the ship? And, and I'm not saying that's an easy answer because I don't necessarily know what they do. But I mean, it's a great example of where you have an, you have a company where they've co-founders who are leaders there, forward-thinking cultures. Those are all great qualities, but they are just that. They're qualities. I think it's important to note that those are things that we like to find in investments, but they don't mean that they will actually be good investments. This comes at a time when people were spending money. Consumer confidence is mm-hmm. as high as it is in January in the last 12 years. Um, across any month, a lot of that has to do with the, the election, people thinking their taxes might get cut and whatnot, but consumer confidence is up, holiday sales were strong. Uh, but this isn't a sticky product. Gartner, a research firm, said that in the US, UK, and um, Australia, 30% of the folks that have bought a smartwatch or a fitness tracker have, have stopped using it within a year. And so, if you if you're not getting people to re up on the newest product in your cycle, um, and people obviously don't see the benefit of continuing to use it, it's just a dying breed. And they're trying to say that maybe they can they can help save lives by teaming up with healthcare companies. I think they teamed up with Medtronic to allow their Fitbit app to input its data into a Medtronic platform to combine the analysis of diabetics' glucose levels with their activity levels to try and monitor that. So maybe there's a future there, but um, it's going to take some proving to do that. And this is still a small test with Medtronic, and less and less people are using their product in the first place. Yeah, I think at best it just adjusts the market opportunity. I think initially when this company went public, the perception at least was the market opportunity was as big as the number of people on on the face of this mm-hmm. planet, right? I mean, everybody could wear one, um, and that's just turning out to not be the case. You mentioned, Jason, you thought this is GoPro 2.0. I, I was thinking this morning when I was reading through the coverage of this, this is reminding me actually of Flipcam. Remember Flipcam? Sure. Which was revolutionary until the iPhone came along and Android phones sort of mirroring what the iPhone was doing. And then all of a sudden, everybody who has a mobile phone Mm -hmm. has a camera in it. And then it ends up getting acquired by Cisco Systems. And then Cisco Systems quickly writes down that entire thing. And I think, you know, I've said this before, I think the likely outcome for Fitbit is is an acquisition of some sort. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to your point, Taylor, about them Partnering up with Medtronic, they ought to be. If they're not talking to Medtronic about, because Medtronic's a big company, yes, it is. Yeah, that is very well established in terms of medical devices. Because that was one of the things I was trying to think about. Okay, if you think someone's going to buy Fitbit, and I think someone is. I don't know what the price is going to be, but I think someone will buy them. Then the question becomes, well, who's the likely candidate? Because there, you know, anytime we talk about potential acquisitions. Our minds tend to go towards uh, tend to go broader mm-hmm. than what makes sense, and they also tend to go to well, who's got the money? So in the tech well, space, at this point, I think I even have the money. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you hear that all the time. It's like, well, you know, Apple could buy them. It's like, well, you know, look at what Apple they does. They have a they're, phone. They're, yeah, they don't need they're, it. They're not going to buy <laughs> yeah. them. Um, but Medtronic actually makes sense mm-hmm. to me, as opposed to you know, because one, one, Jason, one of the companies I was thinking about was, well, who's spent money on health, fitness apps recently? Under Armour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, I don't think Under Armour is going to buy this company. No, because they'll just embed this in their clothes and not have right. you wear something on your wrist. Maybe an insurance company out there blowing your premiums based on, like, you know, Progressive has a thing you plug into your car. Yeah. So if you drive more safely, your insurance premium goes down. Maybe if you're more active, your insurance premium goes down with this Fitbit. But I could see people just strapping it to their dog collar and get out there and be somebody, pup. 
I mean, I, I, yeah, you look at an example of a business where you probably thought acquisition at some point or another, uh, Leapfrog, right? We talked mm-hmm. about Leapfrog a lot on the way down and how it was kind of neat what they had, but you could tell more and more that the, their market opportunity, their window for their market opportunity kept on getting smaller and smaller because kids were just making, you know, their initial devices like Kindles and iPads and iPods and whatnot. So I, I mean, I look at, I look at Fitbit and I think, well, I, I mean, who wants to actually take on that headache? Like I, I've always been somewhat critical of Apple on the on the Apple Watch side because I felt like they built a device that tries to do too much as opposed to something where, given their resources, the technology, the brand power, I think Apple could actually develop a Fitbit style, truly dedicated fitness device that could completely wipe Fitbit out. I mean, without even thinking twice, because of everything I just said there—the finances, the re, the resources, the the brand power, and whatnot. So I mean, I don't even know, I, I don't even know that I would look at Fitbit ultimately as an acquisition at this point because you got to figure who really needs it, yeah. right? I don't know that anybody actually really needs it because what they're doing isn't necessarily so special. You could develop it for cheaper than you could buy it. Sure. Yeah. Let's move on to Rite Aid. And if there's a stock that's making Fitbit feel better about itself today, it's Rite Aid. <laughs> because shares are hitting their lowest point since 2014 after Walgreens lowered the buyout price by nearly $2 billion. And just to refresh everyone's memory, October of last year, they agreed to a buyout at $9 a share. Today, that gets lowered to 650 maybe as much as $7 a share. Which is a pretty big haircut. Yeah, it is. It's really dependent on the amount of stores that they would have to divest in order to make this deal happen. So if if they had to divest a thousand or less, they'll probably get seven dollars. If they had to divest up to twelve hundred, which is what many people are thinking, likely six hundred fifty, um, six dollars and fifty cents a share. Uh, but when you're looking at it, you see Fred's. I think was a Tennessee-based um, pharmaceutical store chain that said they would originally buy the stores when the deal was thought to be approved. Um, but now the FTC is coming out and, and saying that there's still some question marks here. Maybe having to divest more than the original 867 stores. So seeing that haircut immediately, and pr- shares weren't even trading up to the nine dollar right. level to begin with. Yeah. So some uncertainty right from the very get go. So, but just to be clear, what's driving this is Walgreens is looking. How do we get this deal done? Mm-hmm. And I mean, if there is a silver lining for shareholders of Rite Aid, it's that. Walgreens is committed to getting this deal done. It's going to be at a lower price. Yep. Um, and they extended the deadline. I think the deadline was this past Friday. They extended it out to July 31st. And there's been a private equity firm, Cer- Cerberus, uh, that's come out and said they would like to potentially buy these stores if Fred's can't make it happen. So there's there's some action on that side of things to help get the deal done. But you're still looking at what price Walgreens is willing to pay and what price Rite Aid shareholders are willing to accept. Isn't Cerberus the mythical three-headed dog who guards the <laughs> yeah. gates of hell? That's, is, that's their that, logo, I think, yeah. as okay, well. If, too, you, yeah. if you're a business <laughs> and a company called Cerberus is calling you up and wants to do a deal, you're in trouble. Scratching your head. Well, I mean, Either this, run the other way the money, or, or you're in trouble. What's going on right now shows you that Rite Aid is in a position of total weakness. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are at the mercy of a suitor, and it needs the suitor more than the suitor needs them. And it's it's you know we're seeing a lot of consolidation in this sector. I mean, Walgreens buying Rite Aid. We saw CVS buying Target's pharmaceutical division. Uh, you go back and you read the 8K, the, the press release that came out when this deal was initially announced, I think back in late 2015, it was really interesting to see more or less 
the termination fees here involved? Because it basically all falls on Rite Aid's shoulders. I mean, I think Walgreens knew going into this that there were going to be some antitrust concerns, at least, or questions. And so that initial price was one where they set that mark and said, okay, we may have to divest some here. And if that's the case, we'll be able to make all of this stuff happen. But in most cases, I mean, the onus really fell on Rite Aid's shoulders here to make sure this deal happened. Because if it doesn't happen, uh, most scenarios result in Rite Aid actually having to pay Walgreens a termination fee, regardless. <laughs> and, and so, when you think about wow, it from that perspective, kind of and I mean, Walgreens is a a much bigger company. I mean, it has close to three times as many stores, much bigger market cap, more financial resources. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this this is a deal that's going to happen. I mean, they're going to divest what they need to divest. So if you're a Rite Aid shareholder, there is light at the end of the tunnel from that from that perspective. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's it just goes to show you, Rite Aid has has been a in a position of weakness for for some time. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool You can also hit us up on Twitter at marketfoolery is our Twitter handle. From Todd Whitcomb in Utah. I'm attempting to value Cummins Incorporated, and I was curious to get your expert opinions. Thanks, love the show, uh, Taylor uh, mm-hmm. Cummins. For those unfamiliar, this is a heavy equipment maker, uh, engines, uh, power generation, yeah. turbo technologies, big stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're talking 15 liter, 12 liter engines. Um, company that's had a good run. We talked right before the show; it's up about 60 percent over the last year. And that makes me wonder if the valuation might be a little too rich. If you look at some of the metrics that it's trading at, like a price to earnings just north of 21 times, five-year average has been right around 15, and the price to book, not as bad, right around 3.5 times price to book historically over the last five years, around 3.2. But you're looking at a lot of these areas where this company does business. Mining, its mining business is down about 45% from its all-time high. Its marine business is down about 40%. Oil and gas is still down 80%. So there is some upside there, but they're not expecting the bottom to flatten until at least the middle of 2017, maybe even later into the year. So you might be able to get a good, a better price, especially because we've seen this run up when results really haven't caught up to, I think, that's that share price performance. I was going to say that that's surprising to hear you tick off the, the various percentages mm-hmm. of, of how their business. Units have fallen yeah. because I can see a six. I mean, this is a twenty-five billion dollar company. I could see a sixty percent run up like that if they were just flat out crushing it. But they're not. They're not. In the U.S., <laughs> revenues are still falling. They're looking at China to be a stronger segment because obviously, heavy machinery companies, you're not going to succeed on a global basis unless China is helping you out. So they do have a favorable outlook for China, more near term than North America. Um, but the balance sheet's there, so they have some time to wait it out. Maybe some M and A on the technology side. If not, then you could certainly see some share buybacks or an increase in the dividend as a likely possibility. So there's some upside there. But um, in terms of where it's at now, I don't have a price target or anything like that. But it does appear a little richly valued based on last five years worth of multiples. So this is one of those companies we we get questions about from time to time, and and the name pops up. Uh, in part because um, it is one of those, it is one of those spaces that um, I, I think certainly over the last few years, when you think about Caterpillar and sort of the the ups and downs that Caterpillar has gone through, th- this type of industry I think becomes more interesting to watch mm-hmm. as opposed to just I mean it, it's not the sexiest industry in the world right. and it becomes more interesting. Well, one thing that to look at with these cyclical industries that rely on oil and gas and commodities. 
is that maybe if the price to earnings or the book value is a little high, maybe it's because earnings have been depressed, so it might be towards the bottom of the cycle. And so you don't you always want to look a little deeper than just these these multiples. So if you look at enterprise value to revenue, the spread between its five year average and where it's at right now isn't necessarily as high as those other two that I mentioned. So you really want to definitely dive in a little bit closer because earnings could be depressed based on cyclicality. So I looked up uh, the origins of this company. Um, started by a man named Clessy Lyle Cummins. Clessy, there's a name I've never heard in my Bring life it back. before. Uh, grew up in rural Indiana, never had formal education past the eighth grade, and is just one of those people that just makes you shake your head in wonder at what he's able to do Seriously. once he starts working and and innovating. Um, he was awarded 33 patents for his various inventions, set five world records for endurance and speed for trucks, buses, and race cars. Um, really amazing. Yeah, it's funny. You, you I, 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 love, I love stories like that, <laughs> where it's just those. sort of the, you know, there are the people who, you know, are highly educated and, and do amazing things, and mm-hmm. then there are the people who have the brains, don't get the formal education, and do them anyway. Roll their sleeves up and get it done. Yeah, and you hear about that stuff, and you think about the financial implications there, and how much money that ends up making, and yada, yada, yada. And it's natural to think about, wow, that just means so great to make all that kind of money. But man, those are the people that just do it because they love it. Mm-hmm. That's just what they love doing. For them, the money is like one of those things that just comes from building really great products and ideas. Really fast cars, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Trucks and buses. Thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Pool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.